A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to an all new episode of the Pack Filler Interviews from the Pack Filler Podcast. This episode is sponsored for you by Huel. Stands for Human Fuel, and that it is among their amazing selection of real food. I personally and currently enjoying the Black Edition Shake, 40 grams of protein per meal. Super convenient, super tasty. I had the chocolate, put a little blueberries in it. Delicious. Uh, real ingredients like coconut, sunflower seeds, brown rice, and flax seeds. This is my go-to morning fuel, and it equates to just $2.50 per meal. Be sure to get to packfiller.com. Use the link today and not only support the show, but grab a great-tasting, affordable meals. Trust me, huel.com forward slash packfiller. Well, there's been a lot of talk about this year's edition of Unbound Gravel in Kansas. And so why the heck shouldn't we jump on that train but do it with somebody who's actually there, did the XL, and placed second place in the process? This episode of the Pack Filler Interviews. All right, everybody. Today's guest is a returning guest. Almost one might even say to the point of being a friend of the Pack Filler. She is North American editor for Cycling Weekly. She's an author, an adventurer. Adventurer is such a generic term, but she recently also placed second in the 2023 Unbound Gravel XL. Let's welcome back to the show on Mariah Rook. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? Good. And and I, just, I said before I actually hit the record button, I was asking you about the status of your risks. You put up a, a, a tweet the other day saying that the abuse from the entire time and the the entire distance really kind of took a toll on you. So are they feeling better? They're getting there. They're almost back to normal. Yeah. So help me out. Set, set the stage for all of us. Uh, first of all, was this a simple case of, of, you know, some of us who have a tendency to, to maybe imbibe a little too much and get on the end line and all of us accidentally register for a race? Or was this some sort of a challenge? What, what set the table for you to t- attempt such an insane event? <laughs> Um, well, I attended Unbound last year, um, you know, as a reporter, and I figured that while 
I was doing, you know, the, the pre-race interviews and whatnot, I could, I could sneak in the hundred miler in between doing my work. So I would like go to the start line, interview the 200 racers, go ride a hundred miles and then, then do the post-race interviews with the 200 racers because they came in after. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that's, you know, good fun, whatever else. But the 200 mile event didn't really hold any intrigue for me. Like, uh, you know, I've done Seattle to Portland. I've done it, you know, in a single day. I, I know the distance 200 miles is, is not new. Um, and then I was like, those 350 years, those are, that's next level. So like, if I were to return, that's, that's what I'll do. And so that's kind of how the seed was planted. And then, you know, come this spring is like, all right, fine, let's, let's do it. And, uh, uh, I had done the yump, um, the Rafa yump rally, which was, yeah. uh, multiple days, but 400 miles with a boatload of climbing as kind of like a pre- like preparation for this. And then. I uh, just dove in and, and did it um, at, at XL. Was it for the story? Was it for yeah. the personal challenge? Okay, it was you were you were like okay, there's you know this <laughs> it's a business write off kind of a thing, right? Yeah, I mean, why why do this? Like, why do people <laughs> do this? What is the intrigue? What yeah. do you learn about yourself while you're out there? Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, obviously, there some part of that was a challenge because I just hadn't done that distance before. Yeah. But yeah, mostly I just wanted to see what what that's like. And for, for people who don't know this distance, is this was just added within the last two to three years, correct? It was added in 2018. 2018. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so a little bit longer than that. And completely unsupported. In fact, I, I see people stopping at gas stations along the way and everything like that, correct? Yeah, yeah. So there, um, there, there were five you know, convenience stores, gas stations along the route that you could stop at. But when you stop, how you stop, what you do when you stop is all up to you. Okay. Uh, but you cannot have a support team out there helping you. Okay. So what is it about this event, this um, this race, Unbound Gravel, this entire spectacle that makes it so special? Is it the fact that it is one of the, I guess we could call it the gravel pioneers, one of the early races, or is it the, the setting? Is it the community? What makes this almost some sort of a holy grail of, of the gravel world? Uh, Unbound in general or Unbound Excel? Um, uh, both. Well, I think Unbound in general because it, it was such a an early event. Like, you yeah. know, it was like 34 guys that got together and were like, let's make this a thing. And then people were really attracted to this this thing that they were doing out here in, in Kansas. And I think because they were one of the first, it got a lot of momentum. And then, you know, with the help of, of getting bought out by, by Lifetime, you suddenly have 4,000 yeah. people flocking to small town Emporia, Kansas to, to see what this endless gravel is all like. And I think what makes Kansas so unique uh, or the Midwest in general is that you can have 350 miles on gravel yeah. uh, without having to go on the roads or, or cross too many big highways. And it, it correct me if I'm wrong, there's not a whole hell of a lot of climbing. It's just kind of rolling climbs, correct? Yeah, it's, it's never really flat so that are up yeah. or down i think we did 16 or 17,000 oh, feet shit. over 350 miles which really is not very hilly yeah but it does feel a bit hilly after, after well that's yeah substantially more than i thought it was going to be but when you, you're right when you weigh that out over 350 miles it's not going to make that much of a you know no gigantic mountains involved in there so 
Talk, take me through the 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 event itself. Was it with a three hundred and fifty miler? Um, I've I've never ridden a race that far. Um, what what are strategies and what are what are ideals in terms of what you're going to do there? Is it just kind of you know I don't assume it's like hey three two one and somebody attacks or you know heads out of the gate like they're on fire. But there's got to be some sort of a strategic element. So what was your plan? Did you plan on competing in the, and finishing within the top two? Or was it just kind of, let's see how it goes? Oh, yeah. I did not plan on racing it at all. Like I, My longest ride in preparation for this was 147 miles. So you know, there's just, there was a big question mark as to what was going to happen after you know, 150 miles. Like, what's my body going to do? I don't know. Yeah. But um, what caught me out by surprise was that it was a big field and there were some notable names, you know, like the Jack Thompson, the ultra cyclist, Ted King, uh, some strong returners from previous years. And the first hour was a legit bike race. Like I've done a lot of racing over 10 years and this was this was among one of the faster starts I've done. And I I think at one point I audibly was like, you guys, aren't we doing this for 350 miles? Like, (laughs) can we chill a little? No. Okay. Like it was, it was pretty fast. Uh, I think my heart rate was sitting at 182 for the first 45 minutes. Oh my so God. Oh my was, God. Uh, <laughs> I burned a lot of matches and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit up and, and chill. And a lot of people uh, had similar experiences where they were kind of caught off guard by how fast it was. Um, but I think that was a strategy because it was a relatively big field um, and that people wanted to just whittle it down early on and uh, get as many miles in before nighttime and also before the mud, yeah. uh, which really just absolutely destroyed the field. Uh, it became a race of attrition the moment we hit the mud. Between uh, mile 100 and mile 130, it just became a walking race. Oh, shit. <laughs> you were walking for hours on end, and that's where most, like Ted King, Jack Thompson, all of them were, were just, they, they quit because it was too, or they had mechanicals or, you know, it just, it became too much. Um, and it wasn't the kind of mud that we have here in the Pacific Northwest where it's, you know, wet, wet mud. It was more like concrete. So it clogged up your drivetrain almost immediately. Um, and so you were pushing, you, you couldn't even roll your bike. You were just like dragging it with you for miles okay. on end. And so after that, the whole, no matter what kind of race strategy you had, it was just completely blown up. It was, it all depended on, how patient you were, how much you're willing to walk, and how your gear fared, I guess. So the the 200 milers hit it within the first 10, 15 miles, correct? And yeah, they hit it on mile like 10 or 11, yeah. and it was only like three or four miles. Oh, we okay. We hit it at mile 100, and it was on and off for 30 miles. Oh, Jesus. Okay. So, what kept you going? What? How did you beat the demons away that were other people were having? I, no offense, but rational thought processes and just going, screw this, I'm going to go home. You kept going. Was it the the pressure of the story? Was it the drive for competition? Was it just, I don't have anybody to come pick me up? <laughs> uh, I did have no one to pick me up because that's required. Uh, lifetime, they're smart people. Yeah. They realize that that's a necessary uh, tool they must have. But um, no, I think, yeah, part of it was the story. Um, but I also knew that regardless of what happened, there was going to be a story, good or bad. So that didn't really matter. But also just because I'm stubborn as fuck, and I just wanted to get it done. <laughs> okay, now so thirty plus how how many how far again? Sorry, were you stuck walking? So that off and on uh, for thirty miles between okay. mile one hundred and one thirty. 
holy shit and and, and that's when it's dark you know you're yeah. in the dark you're just clearing out your bikes as best as you can like i had a paint stick and that broke in three because it was just too heavy and like no you didn't have any gears it was i was using my bike as an adult type balance bike most of the time like it was it was it was pretty comical really Talk to me about one of the things you include in your article was talking, at least one of the articles was talking about the damage it, it, it inflicted upon bikes. And when you we talk about the sport and, and traveling this far distance and how cycling is already such an incredibly expensive sport, you incurred quite a bit of damage. I did. So, I mean, my drivetrain, you know, didn't really work. And uh, my, you know, my derailleur cage got super bent, the railer hanger got bent. My bottom bracket is pretty toast. Just about any bearing really just got rusted. But uh, I think the most significant damage was the seat stays of my carbon frame uh, got damaged to the point that they are now in the carbon repair shop getting um, fixed. I think the, the analysis showed there was only 1.1 mil left, oh my God. which is a lot of carbon. <laughs> it just got rubbed away by, you know, where, wherever the mud clogged onto the tire and uh, mind you, I have significant clearance on that bike, and it yeah. just wasn't enough. How about how about mentally and physically you, yourself? Uh, any long term damage? Any even temporary damage that this type of event did to you? Uh, I think mentally, it's the fact that I'm considering doing something like this again. Uh, you are. Like you are. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what else is there? Um, <laughs> I could have sworn when I first saw the first reactions after the race for, that you post, posted online where some of them were like, no, I'm good. I don't have to do this anymore. But usually that fades away pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, I have the memory of a goldfish when it comes to suffering. It's just like, <laughs> oh, let's, let's try that again. Uh, and then um, physically, I mean, you know, my lady bits got, got pretty damaged. It's a long time in a wet saddle. Oh, God. Um, you know, same thing with my feet. I got blisters like, you know, quarter-sized blisters on my palms, some bruising, uh, you know, everything was sore just from being, you know, in that position for 28 hours. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're a weekend and it already feels like a month away and I'm like, Hey, really? what are we doing now? Just really? waiting on the bike to get fixed. What is next? What? I don't, I don't know exactly. <laughs> I mean, it'll be some bike packing and you know, yeah. but I'm, I'm not, uh, not afraid of that distance anymore, I yeah. guess. Did but I think um, to the point of the damage, though, like I got off pretty easy. Um, there were some people in in my race that had, you know, there's one guy who had an entire down tube that was destroyed. And I remember very specifically in the middle of the night, there was this guy sitting on the side, just like clearing his bike. And he asked me, he's like, hey, how much more do you think we're going to get of this? And I was like, I, I have no idea. You know, it's like yeah. we're only 130 miles in. Anything can happen. And he just looked at me. He's like, I think I have to quit. I don't think I can afford another bike. Oh. And that's, that one really resonated with me. Cause then, you know, you start to think about the cost of entry, right? You're, you sign up, that's an entry fee. You have to get your hotel, your flights, your training. You probably buy some new gear in order to get to this. Sure. And then having to make that choice of how do you continue? Do you continue? And is it worth it? Yeah. And, and that was, was, was what inspired one of my articles was to just ask that question. Like, is this worth it? Or, should organizers be mindful, not just of the safety of the riders, but perhaps also the investments that they're making, you know, like, uh, especially for the age groupers and the fun runners, if you will, like for them, this is a once in a lifetime event for the pros and the excellers, like we're a different breed and we kind of know what we're getting into. Sure. But then 
you know, for Joe Schmo from who knows where, who read about this event, got excited, got into the lottery, you know, trained, got a coach for a whole year. And then, you know, they're investing thousands of dollars and their race is done at, you know, mile, mile mark one, uh, 11 or 10 or whenever that was. Yeah. And that, that's the, a question that I think a lot of people came away with this year. And it's not like the organizers can necessarily, oh my God, it's raining. Let's go with route number two or run some arrows in a different direction and go around uh, some specific mud sections. You're talking about a a full course that is predominantly, if not all, of this surface. So what do the organizers do in that type of a situation? Well, that's the whole thing. And in this case, it was a very short section and a reroute was an option. And so that, that oh, was. then okay. sparks the question, like, should they have taken the reroute? Should have been an option for, you know, the non-elite categories? Like, I know the, the 50 milers had no mod at all, and they fared perfectly fine. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's just a question that has come up. To, is this part of gravel? What is reasonable? What isn't? And uh, I think that's that's the big dialogue that's happening at the moment. And where do you see it going? Do you think this is something that that they're going to start adding into some of these things last minutes? Maybe. I also just think there's so many different options. Like yeah. Unbound is kind of known for these conditions, right? The that clay, that concrete, like mud, doesn't just it doesn't fare well in in rainy weather. And if you are not ready for that, or it's not worth your risk, then there's luckily a calendar full of events of of yeah, more yeah. fun and you know uh community oriented events yeah i yeah I, I agree with you it's it's there is in certain senses you kind of know what you're biting into when you travel to some of these things but you know i it's also there's no way the sport's going to get any cheaper and and taking into account the cost involved is is also something that's really really heavily on a lot of people's minds did you know how you were sitting overall in terms of the race at any particular point? And was this a surprising result for you? No. Um, so like I said, I, I wasn't planning on racing, but when <laughs> I saw the third place woman came by me and someone pointed out, it's like, Oh, she's sitting in third place. And she, she did not stop at the, the, the refueling option. So she blew through it. That was a strategic choice on her end. And so I wrapped up my stuff and I was like, well, let's go get her. Um, you know, once a racer, always a racer. It kind of like was like, well, it's, it's dangling right there. Let's, let's see if I can get podium. So then I caught her and then I caught the second place uh, at the time, second place rider who was last year's winner, Cynthia Frazier. We chatted for a little bit and then she said, oh, I'm going to pull over. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll see you in a little bit. And so at that point I knew I was sitting in second. I knew that KP who ended up winning was too far ahead of me to, to to catch her but i just knew that if i just continued i would probably get second and that was pretty cool um i did not check in myself at any point at the leaderboard which i should have because i was riding and and racing harder than than i was able to um because i i would later blow up but like for the first 220 miles i was riding riding at tempo which is a long distance to be riding on tempo uh if you haven't ridden that before uh, only to find out later when I finished. So when I finished, I thought I had actually lost my position because I had a, a rough final third of the race uh, until someone let me know that I was still in second and that the third place finisher was like an hour or two behind me. Wow. So <laughs> I should have just looked and be like, oh, it's safe. You can just chill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it made for another 
fun element yeah Okay, I'm, I'm going to confess something to you here. I, I don't know. I'm not. It's not the sport that's driving me crazy. It's the word gravel. I think there's there's not necessarily a, a moment that goes by if somebody's talking about the sport of cycling, the word gravel isn't repeated about 30, 40, 50 times. I love riding these roads and I love what it's doing for the sport. Do you see gravel reaching its peak in terms of popularity in this country, are we still on the uprise or do you think we're going to, it's going to level off at any given point in time? You were, you're in the trenches, so to speak. You're seeing the, one of the, if not the largest events in the country, yeah. is it growing? Is it going to keep going? I think it's going to grow, but I think it's going to look different. I think these events are going to differentiate themselves from one another and they're, they're going to be just a, another discipline that's always present. They're not, you know, the novelty is going to wear out uh, soon. And I think especially with with Unbound, it's it's we're perhaps already seeing or celebrating the what was Unbound, you know, the, sure. the first, the most epic, you know, these great winners. Uh, and I think uh, probably hot take is that making it so competitive is also what's taken away some of the the novelties and the excitement around gravel. I mean, allowing feeds and musettes and, and race tactics is, uh, road race tactics, I should say, is kind of making gravel just another road race with a different surface. So I think it's gonna definitely take on a new form in the coming years. You constantly hear the words, the spirit of gravel. Is, is the spirit of gravel something different than it was even five, six years ago? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Certainly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think even just seeing how fast our, our race was for the first hour, which is just absolutely not necessary when you're racing for that long and uh, where people are, are packing as little as possible and, you know, they're eating nothing but gels for 28 hours. Like it, instead of everyone stopping together and having that community aspect of, yeah. you know, you're, you're not just supporting the community, but the community gets to interact with you while you're out there. And uh, yeah, some of that is definitely uh, uh, a side effect of it being yeah. so popular right now and, and so much of the road uh, racing making its way into gravel and the fact that you can you can make your career on gravel now. Yeah. You getting a good result in the Unbound 200 can definitely set you up for um, you know some sponsorships and support that previously didn't exist. It's still not really TV worthy though. We're seeing uh, the media having a really difficult time covering it. I, I don't mean to bash on the the TV coverage 
I, I didn't, I don't even know if it was covered this year. I looked around for a little bit and I knew it was probably on a subscription service, but it's, it's with the remote nature of it being so out in the middle of nowhere, obviously getting live TV shots is going to be incredibly difficult. Do you envision it ever becoming somewhat more TV worthy? That scares me before I even allow you to answer. That scares me because look what cross country mountain biking has become. It's this kind of arena sport on these small little loops and riders aren't going off into the mountains anymore. Yeah, I mean, they tried it last year, and, and to answer your question earlier, Amman was not uh, aired this year. Lifetime okay. really tried to get the whole uh, Grand Prix series um, streaming, but it was it did prove too difficult. Access was tricky, and uh, to be honest, like it's 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 not even that engaging to ride for that long through these rolling hills. <laughs> so I can't even imagine watching that for hours on end. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't. Unless they're going to change the format significantly, I don't see it being a, a sport that you, you watch on TV. I think the dot watchers is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, just hearing from how many people were watching my dot, like people that have zero interest in the sport. And I'm like, why are you watching just this random, you know, dot on, <laughs> on a map? Like it's never been something I've done, but it's definitely speaking to an audience that does want to follow these races. So. Who knows? Maybe there's going to be a combination of that, like dot watching plus little snippets of video. Yeah. I keep thinking of some of the more epic uh, YouTube videos I'll watch. You know, um, Tyler, uh, the vegan cyclist, doing some of those impossible route things that are very engaging, but he's presenting that as a documentary film. He's not covering it like it is a, a live event or, or anything like that. But that I see as being an element. I'm sure YouTube's been absolutely flooded with all types of unbound mini movies ever since everybody with a GoPro. Yeah. And, and I think the series that, that Lifetime did last year, where's, where it was a docu-series kind of like, you know, drive to survive, but yeah. they follow the series like that. That's very entertaining. And I think that kind of content is, is doing well. It's, it's proven to do well for everyone. So I, I look forward to seeing more of that just to get to know a little bit more of the, the riders and what it's like, even if we can't get live images during the race. Yeah. Um, and, and excuse me if I, for my segue here, taking from what we're talking about in terms of content, in terms of how, how the races is covered. I, I asked you earlier if I could ask you about the state of cycling journalism. And um, there has been a lot of uprooting within the state of cycling in terms of journalistic uh, sources. Um, on, on your end, what do you see as, as happening in terms of a change with how, how cycling media is presented and methods in which it can be delivered to us? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the ever-changing media landscape in general. I think that we're, we're seeing just have its effect on cycling media. I think in the last year, we've seen a lot of changeover. Uh, you know, outside bought a bunch of titles and then yeah. promptly got rid of a bunch. Yeah. Um, and then rebranded as of a few weeks ago. Now everything is Velo. So it's it's kind of like we're seeing monarchy, like, uh, or monopolies rather, like facing off against each other, Hearst and outside and uh, fewer titles with pretty much the same people. Um, and now we have Escape, you know, which is basically Second Tips 2.0. And GCN kind of tackling the U.S. market as well. It's, it's a very interesting time. And I think what's tricky is that we all need to get paid. And um, when the industry in general is struggling, as it is this year, uh, post-COVID, it means our 
the media is struggling because no one's buying advertising. And so I'm very, very intrigued by the escape model that they're doing where, you know, it's, it's subscriber funded. And I, I would like to see that succeed and, and see if that's something we can get back to as a, as a media industry in general. But yeah, I'm kind of just watching it going like, huh, well, that's interesting. What's, what's that going to do for us? Um, but yeah, I think, uh, it's so tricky when, if you think about the dollar spend, right? Like a, a brands can have their own in like influencers or ambassadors yeah. and say they can get for that dollar value, nothing but good things said about their brand. Whereas with media, they still risk, you know, uh, an honest review or a critique of some kind. And it's, uh, Instagram, YouTube is, is definitely making our job more difficult. Um, but I'm hoping that things will sort its way out and people will continue to, I don't know, have an appreciation for the, the written word. I mean, you know, you have a podcast. Yeah. Like, people, people love podcasts and videos. And as a writer, I'm like, but, but words. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 one of my questions was going to be what makes the written word worth saving? Um, I am obviously a gigantic fan of, of that medium of that, the way a, a good story is presented and that it's, it's your, in a, in a sense, it's your own voice reading it to yourself when you're sitting down and reading something. I know that sounds kind of childish, but it's, but, but the written word doesn't seem to be grabbing as many as it used to. Is that a, a cultural shift or is it the fact that, that people aren't necessarily willing to pay for quality writing when they can get average writing for free. Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think people aren't willing to pay for information when the internet is free. I, I do disagree that it's it. People do find the written word very uh, grabbing still. Oh, I do. Yeah. In different ways, like look at um, you know during during the pandemic, the sales in books and 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 print media actually went up. Likewise, uh, audiobooks and podcasts, people still love storytelling. Um, they, they like to listen to it perhaps, but like an audiobook is just the same words, just presented differently. And uh, I don't know, I'd like to think that it's not a, not a dying yeah. medium, but I, I, I hope I didn't wasn't misinterpreted when I said that. Yeah, because I'm a very much a fan, obviously myself. Uh, but Independent journalism is also something that we're losing hold of. These, it's all falling under these large corporate umbrellas who are, can present a message in a very specific way. And that scares me also when somebody has a different take on something. Or as you said earlier, I, I can have my ambassadors go out there and ride my bikes and everybody says wonderful things. But heaven forbid I get an independent journalist who says, actually... Uh, it's kind of a shit bike or something, you know, but in a much yeah. more respectable way. Um, independent journalism is what's scaring me because those are the voices that we need, not just everybody following the corporate path. Absolutely. And that is universal. I mean, look where you're getting your news. You know, you already yeah. sign up for a certain political leaning just by tuning into one channel over the other. And it's, it's rather scary. What do you think, what are your thoughts about, um, and I'm sure you've already had this discussion with other people about AI taking away some, some <laughs> elements of it also. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the scariest thing of all. A friend yeah. of mine who's also a journalist recently um, showed me a very scary thing where um, they asked 
AI, they're like, hey, please write an article about, I forget what the topic was, in the tone and voice of Anamaraya Rauk, which is me. Yeah. Uh, because I've been a journalist for 18 years at this point, and there's a lot of information of me uh, or written, written pieces by me on the internet. And so it was able to reproduce an article in my tone and voice. And that was... Oh, shit entirely hit too close to home i mean for one i realized i use certain sentence structures way too often <laughs> but also like wow that i would write it that way or like that does sound like me and that was uh very eye-opening and, and scary oh shit i didn't even think about it taking into account your database of of work that's available out there and using that as a as a pattern to create the, the piece oh shit <laughs> yeah i mean it, it can't like there's no fact it can't fact check itself and it can't emote the way humans can yeah but yeah that was uh that was an eye-opening moment for me and and for me as someone who also hires uh freelancers and writers and interns i actually have to make it clear like please do your own work please don't use ai uh because i know at least from all my teacher friends like this is something they constantly have to check now yeah. like you turn in an essay they have to put it through like an AI checker. And that's just kind of a wild world that we live in. Yeah. I always make my students include something personal or a very specific Mm -hmm. formatting request or, or something like that. And, and they go through it through that way. But no, I've done the same thing I've had in, in some of my classes, I've had students, okay, for the sake of this, we're going to generate a, a script in AI. And I want you guys to see if that script is performable or something along those lines. And it's, and some of them aren't bad. Some of them are absolute garbage. I, I don't know if it's about to replace us all now, but I think it's a matter of time until something like that does happen. Yeah, I just take comfort in the fact that AI can go and ride 350 miles and then ride about Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although you just submitted some work on it, so maybe now it's going to start to get that feeling. Yeah. Talk to me about what uh, what is happening through Cycling Weekly and what you guys are, are doing in terms of, of staying ahead of the game and, and beating out these, you know, these large conglomerates. Well, we are part of a, a rather large yeah. ourselves. Yeah. We are under the Future Media umbrella. That okay. Everything from Marie Claire to, you know, computer titles and the caravan titles. So I think uh, it's, it's almost a necessary evil to be part, no matter how yeah. old you are. You know, we're the oldest magazine in English language, but you have to be part of something bigger, which also, you know, gives you the financial resources to do what you do. And luckily we have a very supportive team in that um, uniquely most of our editors and writers actually have a journalism degree, yeah, uh, which is pretty rare these days. And, you know, we, we try to keep a very uh, good balance between, you know, those people that handle the commercial side and those people like myself that handle the editorial. Okay. I have to, I mean, I, I'll confess to you, I'm a, and, and this is to the listeners, I'm a, I'm an actual subscriber of the hard copy of the magazine. You know, it, it, I will admit that it's, it's timeliness is a little off just because it's being sent from a very long ways away. I think I just got my Giro preview. But, uh, but the cool thing about it is, is there's a lot of stuff in there that, as you said, that is written by good people, and um, it's, it's informative stuff. It's, and I, it's something I miss. I miss a hard copy of, of the magazine. I know that makes me an old man, but I miss holding something in my hand, especially when it's, when it's written well. So what's oh, ne- yeah. yeah what? I mean, we're, uh, like I said, a weekly. So, you know, yeah. we produce one of these once a week. Uh, I only touch, uh, mostly touch the digital world, but there's people out there that literally have every single copy 
that's ever come out, um, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, they're called hoarders, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you, you teased about it earlier. Um, what's what's next on the calendar for you? I, I saw that you attempted a bike packing trip. Correct. That was earlier in the spring. Yeah, yeah, I did the the rough uh, yump rally. Yeah. Uh, which was super cool. That was a 400 mile endeavor with 42,000 uh, feet of climbing. Um, so anything I do in that comparison will be much smaller. Uh, but no, I'm going to go on a bikepacking trip with Fjall Robin in Colorado. Uh, I'm going um, with Ted King and Jan Heine from Renee Hurst here in my neck of the woods. Um, I'll go to the world championships in Scotland. Um, so yeah, I'll be doing plenty of traveling this, this summer. And anything short distance or is everything going to be just super long? Like, for example, are you going to line up in a local crit anytime soon? You know, I was thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so I was, I, I ride a, a specialist crux and I've, I've been playing with this idea of like, is this the N minus one bike? Can this really do everything? And, you know, I've now done 350 miles on it. I've done plenty of like uh, big tired gravel on it i ride a lot of road on it can it raise a crit um so that'll be a question that i'd like to answer i would love to know that too i've seen some other people do it in a different attempts and things like that but i also yes can it ride a crit but can it race a crit and that's what mm -hmm. I'm, I'm anxious to hear from with uh, you know somebody with like yourself a little bit of racing pedigree so they can actually give an honest review because I know head tube, seat tube angles are, are pretty darn close to where they would be on a, on a straightforward road bike. It's just that what, what takes away from it? What, and I don't know, it'd be a really interesting to find out from a true racing perspective of what it would be like to be able to find a bike that could get you across all, all platforms. Yeah. Problem is I don't really have raising legs, so <laughs> you gotta find those first. Well, that's you know you've got you've got the base for Christ's sake. Just you know go out and crank out a couple of intervals and you'll you'll be good to go. That's right. Yeah. Well, all right. First of all, congratulations on the race. And um, are you gonna is is there another XL in your future? Uh, an unbound XL? You know, I think I've seen enough of Kansas. You have okay. I've now seen what. Uh, 450 miles. Yeah, <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> I haven't. I haven't done it yet. I still some, one of these days. It's it's on my list. I, I I'm more of the maybe the 200 kind of a guy, but I don't know. That's I haven't done a 200 miler. I've done a 140, but that's about it. So it'd be well, fun. I mean, it's, it's just the things. Everyone's like, oh my god, how hard was it? What do you go through? And ultimately, you just want to get it over with. You just pedal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just kind of go into that like almost like that trance like state where you're just in a zone and your your body gets used to riding that specific tempo and you either keep going or you fall off and die. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, well, like, okay. I don't yeah. think anyone has died yet. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I'll I'll knock on wood for you there. So, yeah. well, awesome. Thank you uh, once again for for being on with us. It's cool to get the perspective of somebody who's gone out and done that and to see all the imagery. And everything like that is also something that's quite more intense. And, and to be able to put words to it is also something that's great. So everything is still available at cyclingweekly.com, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, it is. Awesome. And so people can follow along with that. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, I'm clear. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.